Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vance. The Today's guest is going to be Matt Powell, and we're going to sit down. We're going to discuss his impressive career and is also his string of massive bucks over across multiple states and then how he achieved this level and over kind of an overall arcing thing. Now, I met Matt you through Ben Henderson from a couple of podcasts ago that was part of the bow hunting league which I do recommend everybody to go check that out because it's like the prizes are going to be fantastic. Uh, it is official. HHA is now a proud sponsor for the Bow Hunting League. So this way, then you guys have something to look forward to if you do win one of those prizes. Ben, why don't we just start off from the very beginning? Like, since this is the first time you've been on here, why don't you give us an introduction like, from what you do for a living, family man. So this way, when, when we get into your hunting adventures and your multiple states, then they can then then we can really deep dive in how you uh, balance out work, life, family, and such. Uh, it's pretty busy. Uh, I'm 36 years old. Uh, I own my own company. We actually do uh, land clearing, logging. Uh, our bread and butter is harvesting uh, mature hardwoods here in the uh, Tennessee Valley, Central Tennessee. Okay. So you know, being a business owner. I tend to get my time off when I want it. So I <laughs> uh, grew up hunting and fishing, never knew any different, uh, you know, and to dive into how I do what I do pretty simply, uh, going back to where I got started, I killed my first deer when I was nine years old with a recurve. So, I mean, that, that gets you an understanding of how deep rooted I am into archery hunting and, and how, you know, experience is where it all comes back. Uh, nobody just wakes up knowing how to kill big deer. It, it just doesn't work that way unless you're somebody puts you in a box behind and hand feeds you, you know, type situation. <laughs> it's understandable then. And then, uh, so your who is your who got you? Who put that bow in your hand? Was it your dad, grandpa? Yeah, my dad. Uh, my my dad, and my brother. I got an older brother, so you know he was always hunting. You know, I seen him hunting before I was allowed to hunt. You know, when I was you know, three and four years old. So, you know, I always want to do what Big Brother wants to do. You know how that goes. I always want to bother Big Brother and do that kind of thing. So um, he really got into archery first, and then I, I fell right in on it when I was a little bitty, five or six. And I was, you know, I was nine years old before I finally killed one, um, chasing it with a little recurve I had. Probably wasn't 35, 40 pounds. My dad's he sat with me every time and self-imposed like a, 10 yard distance and finally one september day we had a doe come into a salt lake at you know seven or eight yards and i clucked her with the little recurve <laughs> that is awesome then and, yeah it's, and, a, it's pretty awesome no did so your dad how long has he been bow hunting then he actually never really bow hunted he was always just a, a sportsman he was a, a Big trapper back through the 70s. He actually made a living for over a decade doing uh, commercial trapping and uh, just was always what I consider like a, you know, not a mountain man, but a woodsman. You know, he knows, he raised us knowing what roots we could use and eat and what plants done everything. You know, it's not just about whitetails. It's 
it's knowing the ecosystem and the ecology of the of the woods you know where you live from top to bottom that makes sense see that's pretty impressive like my dad's an old, like was a overall huntsman too or a sportsman i should say he never really got into like bow hunting he just because he got injured years ago in his shoulder and never really adopted anything so he liked to divide up his his uh, seasons to multiple things it's like he liked to fish up until uh, september october then once and then he then he would move into bird hunting and small game hunting and then right at the tail end of the season right around uh christmas that's when the company he worked for would give off a, a company-wide layoff and it would be off for two weeks and that was <laughs> muzzleloading season and so that's oh, what he did so he's been a muzzleloader for hunting for years he used to, that's all he did was um and then he would get into party hunting too so this was up in northern iowa so he had variety of different things never took you know was never an antler man he just liked the meat he, he didn't care if he yeah. shot a doe he didn't care if he shot a buck it, he never had the type of competition like he had to get a big monster buck he, he liked just being outdoors and that's what he kind of that's where i i pulled from him so now like i kind of almost mirror his thing except for when it comes down to bow season i do give him a few weekends in october where we'll go out and do some fishing before 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 he puts the boat away but uh, after that, it's just pretty much in the tree stand or if it's or one thing where we can't meet up to be able to do it. So that's where we part ways. So it's like, you know, we, we have our things, but like I got the bow hunt niche a few years ago and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you know, that, that's kind of like my daddy never really was uh, bow hunting is, as far as an older generation is kind of uh, not a real dominant thing, but, you know, because there wasn't that many whitetails you know, to our parents' generation. So it, it was kind of a, a small system. My dad was in the South, small game and hounds were the main thing. You know, they, they run uh, foxes and, and coons and stuff. And I mean, he's still a big houndsman. He goes to Canada every fall uh, and runs his dogs on bears. And we've been out West uh, after mountain lions before with his hounds. And, you know, that I guess that would be the best way to call him as a houndsman. <laughs> Very yeah. impressive. My dad got into, into uh, uh, golden retrievers here back when I was really young, and uh, spent a lot of time getting those up. Getting hit a had a pair of them, and he got those up and running to where they could get to point and track the whole a whole uh, whole kit and caboodle there. And he, it's like then his uh, his pride and joy. She got ended up catching pneumonia, and uh, he had to put her down. He never he never got back into it again. So it's like he just kind of put it put that to a side because I think kind of hurt him a lot for all the energy you put into it oh, I and it's, it's it's hard to lose a good dog yeah that's that was a downside it was a good dog it's like and uh it's uh one of those things where he never really ever got back into it i don't think he ever recovered from it so he just now just sticks to his good old fish and uh, it, he's thought about going hunting since he retired but he's, he's he just likes he likes just to go out fishing and just hang out and drink beer <laughs> i can relate to that occasionally here and there <laughs> That's awesome. So then how long have you had your business? How did you get into like logging and such? Uh, it's kind of a, kind of a long, I've kind of grew up with in and out of it. My dad did it, uh, quite a bit off and on as I was, as after he retired and sold his company that he had. And, uh, so he kind of just did it as a side thing, something to do once he retired. And I was in high school at that point. So I kind of, you know, did it here and there, and then I went to college. I got a bachelor's of science from uh, the University of Tennessee. Then I went to work for 
the man, you know, kind of corporation type work and uh, did that for about three or four years. And that just, that just wasn't for me, you know, and I just, I just couldn't handle the, couldn't handle taking a month off in November. And I just don't do real well. People telling me what to do. So, uh, kind of, kind of just got started, bought a dozer and got, just got going, you know, work hard and work hard and buy more equipments. The, the main thing is, that's pretty impressive to 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 be to recognize at an early age like this this nine to five shit isn't for me. It's like I want to be out on my own. No, I can't handle that. Not one bit. Now it's now makes sense because now so you're able to do what you that you what you have done. We're, we're there's, there's there's he's got some uh, interesting things we're going to be talking about here a little bit. And so how did you and Ben connect? Me and Ben grew up. We've been to school together since we were in kindergarten. So. Uh, we've been we've been running up and down together for a while now. Oh, very uh, cool. We grew up about maybe half a mile to three quarters of a mile away. Our properties are uh, basically on the same creek system, one big drainage system. So I could, without going on the the road, we could meet each other. I could go to his house, he could come to my house without having to get on the road. Even when we were young, like seven, uh-huh. eight, nine years old. So that was pretty cool. That is pretty impressive. That's, that's, it's phenomenal to have that type of lifelong friend. Now, do you guys hunt together or do you guys' schedules do not make that happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we hunt a lot together. He, uh, he does the same thing. He works his way at situation where he's off at least three weeks through November. So, I mean, I pretty much uh, – gun usually opens in Tennessee between the 5th and the 8th of November, and that's – when that happens, I leave. I head north hunt states that are still archery only uh that's basically all i do is uh, archery hunt year round so uh you 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 don't monkey with guns at all then huh not even a little bit that's a it's understandable there it's yeah i mean i'll take kids you know and stuff like that you know let them come on some of my properties and you know i I have a uh i have a stepson and a stepdaughter as well so you know they all get to shoot or whatever they want you know so I mean, there is some gun, there's gun hunting on my properties, but when I'm trying to hunt big deer, you know, like them guns really start popping. People start just walking everywhere. I just, I just head on and head on north to, to, to greener pastures. Fair enough. Yeah. See here, it's like uh, in Wisconsin, our deer season starts September 15th, right around that, that second weekend of of um september so it's like so we have a long long uh spectrum for it so like and now the over the last couple of years wisconsin has relief or uh, removed the guideline where you can't you can't you can you can only gun hunt now you say you can do both you can gun or bow hunt either or so whatever you'd like to do and there's some states where it's like it's like in iowa it's like if it's guns if it's a gun season no bows no no bow hunters can be out there so or we can't, yeah, we can't bring that. about there. Yeah. 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 I've seen that on, you know, video stuff. I'm like, that's the craziest thing ever. Like I can understand them not allowing, you know, guns during archery, but I just don't understand no gun, no archery during gun season. It's just always, I'd like to hear their reasoning behind it. You know, I don't know either, but then again, it's like, we're having a lot of issues with depends on like if your state's blue or red. So it's like, that's where it comes down to it. And, and if you have a big issue with CWD, like good old Wisconsin does. Yeah, yeah. Y'all have some really hot beds up there where they're trying to just 
kill them completely out in some areas. That's been an attempt on several occasions to try to remove the, the CWD disease. And it's like, the nice thing is that there's no confirmed cases that's going to, that's jump from the animal to the, uh, to a human. But then again, like the prions are found in the spinal fluid and the col in the spinal column. Yeah. Like, you don't eat that stuff anyway. So it's like, as long as you bury it and it's like, I, it's been around since like we first discovered back in the sixties out in California, out in Colorado, when it, when a, when it jumped from a goat to a mule deer and it kind of spread from there. Don't know the entire thing, but I know if you can look up uh, Ryan Young with uh, Doug Dern, like they, they're kind of big proponents of CWD and how they want to manage all that fun stuff. And uh, they can give you more of a detail of that. But uh, Pennsylvania's there's a, a doctor, I can't remember the guy's name, but he had a plan to, to be able to remove it within five day, five years. That's a thing. It's yeah. a very ambitious program and a plan that he has. But if he does pull it off, it's going to be revolutionary. But uh, it's going to come down to figure out where it comes. And it's like, even to this day, we have no idea what ground zero is and what triggered it. You know, what if it's a malfunction? If it's from GMO foods, if it's from like random thing like such as uh, morel mushrooms, because like you know how morels require a certain environment for them to spark. Maybe that's what caused that. Oh, yeah. It ate something weird and went from there. Now it's like they've used it as a way to funnel things to strip things away from us. And that's what oh, they've yeah. done here. Oh, so yeah. it's like they moved away from, moved away from baiting and everything else like that. And it's like, well, if we know it doesn't transfer to humans, it's like, there's no net, there's not really a big necessary thing to start stripping away our things. Cause we've seen what happened in California. Like when you start pulling at the strings of the hunting industry and you can't do it, you like, let's say you want to, you want to go mountain lion. You can't use dogs. There, yeah, you can't do so nothing. Like, so good luck. Yeah. You can't, you can't, even Oregon, you can't even, you can't kill anything over a dog in Oregon. I mean, oh. it's just, it's unbelievable. That's, that's the downside. At least, at least, no, in Tennessee, do you guys run deer for dogs or is that just for the no. South? No, it's, uh, and that's even small. I mean, that's getting pushed out as well. And, you know, and I don't know if that's, you know, a lot of that's just more people wanting to hunt like the TV hunters do, you know. Uh, but there's, you can't run them in Tennessee with a dog. I ain't sure exactly what states. And I think it's Louisiana some, maybe Mississippi, and maybe North and South Carolina or something like that. I know like, when it gets to those real thick areas where it's like it's, it's just part of what they grew up with, and it's like you, you wouldn't be able to see them anyways because it's of how dense the foliage is in some of those areas. Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, luck. I mean, it's, it's green there year-round, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of those areas. So it's you like know, that's what which makes sense of why the dogs were first initially adopted anyways. And I think they should maintain that tradition because it's something that uh, it's, it's what we need to keep. Cause right now in the, and it's for some reason we want to erase our history and it's, yeah. never, it's never a good idea to do so. Cause I mean, look at Auschwitz been there for 70 some odd years and it hasn't come down once. So it's like, and they don't have anybody trying to tear that down. It's like, I guess it's a reminder of what was and now we know not to repeat the same mistakes. Even things that everybody doesn't agree with, if it's not just drastically affecting everybody around you, what what is it? It shouldn't matter, you know. Like just, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I could get off on that and we can talk for three days if you want to. But oh yeah, I have a separate podcast for strictly talking about politics. It's like it's it yeah. is. I, we've had like uh, um, my blood pressure get up, and I'll get to cussing people and stuff so oh yeah we we had the pleasure of bringing on tim kennedy from ufc and that was a fun uh fun conversation are you familiar with tim kennedy <laughs> i thought yeah i ain't ever listened to any list any of his talks but i bet that he's be. he's an interesting fellow and he's hilarious humble guy it's like he just he just kind of has this go-getter attitude but um now as you progress in your hunting career 
what started attracting you to get out of state from out of, from moving from Tennessee to other surrounding areas? Uh, well, I mean, big deer, basically, uh, more tags. Uh, my, I got, I got, basically I wouldn't ever went anywhere if I didn't have family and friends. That's what initially started me, started me on it. My, uh, a lot of my family lives in Ohio and I hunt with my uncle up there. Okay. And, uh, I probably started up there probably 12 years ago, something like that. Started hunting Ohio and then being moved to Indiana, uh, when his wife graduated college for a job. Mm-hmm. So me and him started, you know, running the public ground up there. And within two, well, it took us three years. We, we were, we really started getting into the big deer. I mean, really, I mean, just as good as good as any private that I have on, you know, on, on the public. So. And that's what you guys primarily do is public hunting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, mainly up North. Yes. Okay. Uh, but you know, down south, I mean, everything here at home. We, both of our families have been here a long time, and you know, I I'm in contact, constant contact with different landowners. So I mean, I, I run across properties that allow me to hunt and stuff. I don't, I don't lease anything. I don't put out any money. It's all uh, people know my family are trustworthy, or people I've done jobs for let me hunt. You know, and everywhere, everywhere, but my own property and one or two other small like 20 acre places there's other there's other hunters on it so i mean it's not i don't have any big prime fancy leases no shooting houses no you know no i mean i grow some little quarter acre clover plots you know i don't i don't get to hunt over standing beans or corn or no jazz like that i mean it's I can understand that. My my wife hates tree stands, so it's like we primarily just stick to ground hunting. So that's what we do. And like I'm I'm trying to make a decision on what ground blind we need to buy because it's like we used to hunt in a property over Minnesota. Then then the land the landowner decided to retire, and he's got some real cairns next door. And they they were just like they would really get on his case when they'd see us out there hunting. And he would be one in particular. He would he'd make us make it get out of his way to make our hunting. Uh, miserable like shooting off guns uh, hooping and hollering i mean just a, a flat out uh karen you know it's like that typically you don't want to deal with well he, he goes to me last year it's like you know it's like as much as i want you to hunt on you because you've done you've, you've we've had nothing you've, you've given me nothing but respect it's just like i have to deal with them now all day long and it's like before it's like he's working second shift so it's like i never had to see him now i'm gonna be okay. here all day long so it's like his best it's like you know it's like just pull your stuff off it's no big deal where it's nothing you did wrong it's just how that how the thing goes but now, since I'm going to be primarily focusing in Wisconsin here, we have what we call the farm management land, where they have a bunch of farmers that put their land in this trust. So this way, you get a tax discount, and so you can be able to hunt all across the state by access land. There's a nice thing is there's a really nice detailed map of ways to communicate with them and get reach the DNR to how to work with. Because some of these farms are still acting farms, so you don't want to get yeah. in their way when they're harvesting and stuff. So you can open the line of communication. Yeah, I told Ben if you told Ben if you ever want to, if whenever he has a time to come out uh, west to Wisconsin, we'll definitely make it happen. Iowa's a little bit trickier because just because of it's, it's you have to get drawn, you have to put in for so yeah. many years. It, it's it's quite an expensive thing. And I've had friends of mine like ask me like when I'm going to hunt Iowa, but it's like you know I could hunt Minnesota for three years in a row for the same price tag as hunting in Iowa. I mean it's it's yeah. like because Iowa's six hundred bucks out the door after you get drawn. Plus. Yeah. 
And then you, after you put on all the tags, I think the, 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 the points are 60 bucks a piece, but yeah. over, West, over Minnesota, it's like $180 for a, a buck tag. Yeah. You dang, you better be, you better have some good connections or, or, you know, some good insight into Iowa if you're going to put that much time and effort into it for sure. Yeah. I have, I grew up in Iowa. So it's like, it won't be hard for me to step foot on a property. It's just $600 for hunt one season. So yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of tough. It's like, I was looking, I was talking, I have a, a podcast lined up with a gentleman based on new, uh, out of Nebraska and I could do a muley hunt for $252 over the counter and pretty much oh, any yeah. public land. So it's like, I'd rather do that than do than go because like I can hunt whitetail up here. It's like I'm not gonna go to Iowa to hunt whitetail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Nebraska twice last year. I never did get it done, but I was I got real close the last week of season at right after Christmas, the first week of January. Now, now was this for mule deer or for whitetail? Mule deer, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah it almost turned into a really really epic year if I'd have got one of those bucks killed. You know, I'd have had six deer that six deer that year you know mm-hmm. all of them over pope and young uh and it had been three of them over 150 so yeah. nice man now when you 12 years ago when you first started getting into out-of-state hunting what was some of the biggest challenges you had because then we don't have as detailed as google maps and onyx maps like what did you do to learn how to be able to get in these places uh back then we were a lot of these states and even townships had their own, like, uh, it was uh, uh, tax assessor maps. You know, that that's kind of how we run, what we run off in. And at that point, there was quite a few of them that were converting over to digital. Uh, tennis, unfortunately, Ohio and Tennessee both had it digital for probably about 15 years now. So that's a, that was how we had to do it then. But it was a whole lot harder. It wasn't like an app. You had to get on your laptop and find a road and you know it wasn't it wasn't near as user-friendly as it is now but but you know and just uh, a huge thing is having uh having a connection you know i had my my uncle uh up there in ohio and he's a he's a he was a county sheriff and he runs a special detect uh special protection unit for the judges in the county that he's in so you know he had a lot of connections you know and he he's a he loves hunting but he didn't get real excited about it until i come up and got him excited about it you know type thing okay Uh, so you know that that week or so i'd go up there you know i'd be be talking to him every day the week before he's like yeah i'm gonna call this guy he's he's got some good ground i'm gonna yeah i know this I, i met this guy you know it such and such banquet or whatever he's got a good form we should go over there and check it out you know type stuff so without having those personal connections i mean i i don't know what i would have done there uh but indiana you know and then indiana you know ben was there and he was he was putting in some effort you know at that point that's when we started getting the the real digital maps and we could really uh, dissect areas and public ground versus state ground and distance from you know find isolated areas and i would send him cameras and stuff and he'd he'd hang them all summer and you know along with his cameras you know and we would have a you know just tens of thousands of pictures at the end of summer you know to kind of help us you know and we would and the main thing we was finding 
and big mature woods like that up there is where we'd need to find density of deer to find a couple of big deer. Uh, so when we found areas that held a good population of deer, there would always be some good deer in the area. But, you know, without him being up there, being able to run those cameras and stuff, you know, that, that kind of put us in the game a lot as well. But a lot of it's just sitting in the tree, you know. It, like I say, it took us three years to kill a buck up there. Uh, and it was finally just kind of just clicked, you know, the areas that where we'd been in having these encounters, and it's all the same in that in that region. It's all the same type setting. It's, you know, it's it's remote. It's within certain distance of row crops, you know maybe a mile or so, you know, type situation, but you may find the greatest place ever and hike in a mile and a half, and then there's a four-wheeler trail from Billy Bob Redneck, you know, and it, you might as well turn around and walk out at that point. <laughs> so if you if you find a human sign that's like an ATV trail or a snowmobile trail, you tend to move away from those areas just because of the I'm, traffic? or I'm immediately leaving, yes. Because you you just know that you've run into scenarios like when you have a active trail that do you know that the deer anything big is going to be gone. I mean, not. No, I can't say that because I mean, somebody was on you know opening day on a dirt road on a county dirt road or something you know. But just to have, I'm looking for densities of deer, you know, high populations. Uh, so at that point, you got to assume that's not near high high human traffic mm -hmm. you know unless it's you know a, a farmer type setting you know where the deer never bothered you know but if somebody's riding through a full or bumping deer pushing them around they they I just they just you don't have those densities you know but come november deer can walk anywhere but i you know i'm looking to to see a a good number of deer so i can you know kind of sort through them i guess would be a way to to okay. put it you know like i, I want to see of course i'm only looking for one but i'm not going to sit in the tree the next day if i didn't see you know five or six bucks and ten doe you know if i didn't see a, a, a good amount of sign and a good amount of deer i'm not going to stay there i'm going somewhere different okay I, I'm, I'm not a wonder person i'll hunt 200 different tree not 200 but you know unless it's at home or i'm seeing a ton of deer I'm never in the same tree than from day to day. Oh, when you're out, when you're out traveling around. Now, do you use a ground blind or do you use a tree stand? Uh, I use a use a climber. Mainly is ninety eight percent of what I what I use. Just, it makes sense because it's very convenient. So I was like, now have I've I've seen the uptick in the saddle strategies, the saddle tree stands. Are you are you going to work your way into that? Uh, I mean, I I have my Ben is actually. I mean, I do. I'm doing research. He's actually doing some product research. He's got. He's actually got some on order. Uh, I don't know. I, I've hunted. I've had some guys hunt with them. Uh, come up, come up from uh, Alabama and film me last year. Uh, on what we have a velvet early velvet hunt here in Tennessee. It's the last weekend of August. It's just a three day hunt, and he come up from Alabama and film me. He's actually got a. Uh, small podcasts and stuff as well but uh and i just wasn't impressed with it the the speed and quietness of it like i would think but 
you know, a lot of guys over the years, they've, you know, put their sticks on their back and lock arms, and I've just never, never got into that either. I, I'm not really built for it. You know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a short guy, kind of a big guy, so, you know, I, I just don't think saddles fit my butt real well. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. I would, my thoughts were just like you'd be sitting in there and all of a sudden you switch and like you start losing circulation and a thigh or something like that. And just like, it's going to be a long day. I don't, I just, oh, not, I have some angry emails hit you now over saying something about saddles. Them saddle guys, they're, they're, they're as defensive they can get about them. Oh, uh, they they get they get a little pretty princess. They can get a little sand uh, sand in their vagina a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't care. Hunt however you want to hunt. I don't care if you. I mean, it's legal to sit in a pickup truck in Tennessee if it ain't running. Running if you can kill a big deer out of that, you know, go ahead. It ain't you know, it ain't my property. It ain't my tag. Do what you want. But oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, know, I just get after it the way you see it. It bites the damn sensitive these days. So now. um, What's the state that you haven't hunt yet? Uh, what do you mean? Like, is there a state that you haven't gone and hunted a whitetail in yet? Because so, I want, because I have yeah. a couple of questions I want to ask you, based off of the yeah, way I your mean, response. I, I mean, I hadn't been to Iowa. I haven't hunted uh, Illinois. Uh, I okay. mean, there's a lot I don't hunt. I mean, I kind of got my, you know, I've kind of got my set cycle. I'm right now a little bit the last two years heading west after mule deer mm-hmm. but you know i got my locations i have you know uh places that i that i know so i kind of get this little schedule set you know based on when gun seasons are and what i think how the rut's progressing i guess you know fair so, enough so and i mean i try to stay within five hours five or six hours of home too you know you get mm-hmm. much more than that understandable so so my question is going to be the question is regarding like let's say you're going to go hunting Illinois and you're going to go hunting on, the, on to public land, what is the first thing you you look at when you're on Google Earth on a on a piece of property? Uh, terrain. I mean, terrain. I want to see what the terrain is like first. You know, uh, typically I'm hunting. Actually, ninety nine, a hundred percent of my hunting is done in. Rolling hill type settings, timber haulers, uh, creek bottle, you know, creeks, river systems, you know, no, none of the whole, no flatland swamps, you know, hardly any of that. Yeah, because uh, my experiences, I've never seen, most of the big bucks I've ever seen, they're always in, in a valley or somewhere like this, something that's protected on more than one side. Yeah, so I mean, then I start, you know, at that point, I'll look at, uh, you know, figure out my terrain, you know, of course, I'm going to pick what I know. Uh, so then I'll start looking at uh, areas that seem out of the way or, or hard to get to. Uh, okay. Something that something that has a barrier, you know, maybe the entrance to the public ground is at the bottom of the hill. So okay. you've got to go all the way to the top. So I'll go all the way to the top, down the next valley, and over to the next hill. You know, that type of situation. Anything that's hard. People don't like hard. Uh, so, I mean, e- even water. You know, if I got to haul in my kayak or chest waders or something uh, to get across, or, or maybe even the – I have I've, I've had good success on uh, public properties. 
where the back of it is you really can't walk to, but you gain access. You know, maybe if it maybe if it ain't nothing but a house or uh, a five acre lot or something. You know, you talk to that landowner, work out something with them to enter from that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had good access like that, good success, uh, gaining access. You know, it's all. I mean, everywhere is hard to get to. I mean, none of my hunting is easy. Makes when sense. I'm on public ground anyway. Makes sense because the pictures that you've sent me throughout the week here, you got some impressive animals that you've shot. Now, uh, what has, so has, has twenty nineteen your been your best year this far with with uh, uh, five bucks four states? Uh, size average, yes. I've ki- I killed six one year, uh, but my average size wasn't wasn't that wasn't that high. Like, what do you mean by – are you talking body weight or are you looking at the rack? Uh, rack size. Uh, I mean, body weight, that, that's kind of a cliche thing when somebody brags about the size of a body's deer, a deer's body. Because, uh, I mean, it, a small-bodied deer, he might have a bigger rack. But biologically speaking, you know, the farther north we go, you know, deer are going to be bigger and heavier, so. I mean, my biggest deer come from Tennessee, but he was he was almost two hundred pounds. Uh, but my largest rack size deer came from Tennessee. But talking about average rack, I think my I think it was one forty three last year, or five bucks was the average. That's pretty impressive. Now, um, so you said you've actually got a couple of B and Cs underneath your belt. Uh, just one. Just one. Just one. Yeah. How big is that? Is that the one from Tennessee? Yeah, he's Tennessee. He's one eighty five and four eights. Man, he is <laughs> massive. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah. He was he he stirred up a lot of uh a lot of traffic in Tennessee when I when I killed him. And he was the the most illogical spot you'd ever think of. I was actually looking at kids playing in the backyard when I when I killed him. He, it's just a old grown up farm that butts right up to a big subdivision. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah. you, the, that subdivision is in your backyard, huh? Or the, the, yeah, the, that well, farm is in your backyard? Not my backyard, but it, it's a place I had to hunt. Now it's, it's, a, it's a subdivision itself now. So. Oh, bummer. Kind of sad, yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. See, now living in La Crosse here, we live in a valley, so it's like you, you, there's no east or west. It's, it's north or south because we have the bluffs and then we have the Mississippi River. Like the miss for me for where I'm living right now, the Mississippi River is not even a half mile away. So going, I've oh, been, dang. yeah. So it's it's very convenient. It's like I I'm pretty lucky to have the river so close because like catching big pike and and walleye and and uh, catfish and sturgeons. Like it's been quite nice blessing to be right where I'm at right here. And plus, then the Minnesota border is 15 minutes away, so it's like it's very easy to jump back and forth because there's public land on both sides of I-90 when you're looking at the whole area here. Oh yeah, and anything on the Mississippi River is is going to produce big deer. I mean, if you've got the you know the right terrain that can let them grow, you know, mm-hmm. those fertile valleys. Now, when you when you go out traveling to these different states, now do you just live in your truck, or do you stay with friends and family, or do you get a hotel? Yeah, I mean, I, some of it's hotels. I mean, mainly. But, you know, when I'm here in the Midwest, it, it's friends and family, you know, sleeping on air mattresses and couches, uh, you know, use their water, 
water and food, you know, it's not expensive. I mean, it's, it's tags and fuel basically, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not rich by no means. So. Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at a uh, veteran innovative products, uh, an all American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the combat veteran four blade. As you can see, four blades got a lot of the same high quality materials we use with our original two blade veteran, but the combat veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades. Okay. Those compress and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click, and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. That makes yeah. sense. Though. It's because I was like, it's I've seen people go all all out and then they deck out the truck and they redo their their topper and they make it all nice no, and corners stuff like that. And it's like that's pretty clever because it's like you can really insulate your vehicle that way. It's like I have a big old um, F two fifty truck and it's like it's got an eight foot nine bed and it's like I've been I've, over the over the last few, over the last couple of years I've been thinking about like how can I convert it into something to be able to suit suit that. But then. Oh, here a couple weeks ago, I was down at my dad's like, hey, I got a pickup camper if you want it. Because like he's got one pickup camper and then he's also got a fifth wheel. So he's like, he needs to get rid of it. And it's like, he knows my truck will be able to handle it. And it's like, well, I have no place to store it because I, like, I live in an apartment. It's like, I really don't want to have a pickup camper sitting in the middle of town. And, like, and I have a lot. And like with the vagrants, so like that, it's like, it's nice when it's cold because all the homeless disappear. But it's like right now, it's like, we, it's something that they could break into. And I really don't want to have that type of headache. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there there's some major like, there's some of those guys that I mean they they have it down to a science hunting out of those trucks, and I mean they can, I mean you could get some fantastic insight uh, on some of these forums and even you know the some of the Facebook pages as well, uh, uh, about how to set up a vehicle that can just you know take care of everything. That is that is very very true. Now when you uh... So when you, when you, well, let's see, it's like being a whitetail hunter, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going to be in your pack and how you'd plan for it and such. So now, uh, have you run into any issues where you, do you have to slaughter the animal there or do you, or how do you process your meat when you're out of state? Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of the same, you know, we're going back to the CWD. Uh, we can't transport anything back into Tennessee and almost all states are that way now. Very true. Uh, so, you know, when I'm in Ohio, uh, I hang it on my uncle's basketball goal, cape him all the way down to his head, and then I take him to a processor. Uh, and I actually leave the meat with my for my cousin when I'm in Ohio. And uh, so I cape him out over his head and take a take a handsaw and cut the take I take all my measurements from my taxidermist. Uh, the only thing you can bring back to Tennessee is dried bones, so I I cut the skull plate and uh, borax the skull plate, take all my measurements, wrap it up, 
and uh, if I got time, I'll stick it in my uncle's freezer and try to put a freeze on it. Okay. Uh, but if not, I'll just just pack it just as much tight as ice as I can get it. And you know, if I'm going back to Indiana, I can get it in a freezer over there to, at Ben's, or you know, it's just five hours back home to to get it into a freezer or to my taxidermist here. Okay, so that makes sense on how you handle that because here in Wisconsin, depending on your count, your county, you have to actually debone it right to the spot, and then you got to bury it deep enough where a raccoon can't get it. Then, if you're in certain areas, they can also be able to cape it, debone it, and you can take the carcass over to uh, oh, these massive dumpsters that you can throw dead carcasses oh. in there. So, so they're, they're they're looking at ways to try to figure out like so this way they can get massive samples and stuff like that to be able to do that and the nice thing is here most of the places you can take it in and you can get you can have if you don't if you're not if you're not um sure on how to remove the gland there's there's a there's a taxidermist that can help you remove it and go from there or a butcher depending on who you go to and such and so forth now uh for 2019 here you you had a pretty epic year. Yeah, like, yeah. And uh, so what out of um so what what state did you start your your season in? Uh started in Tennessee. <clears throat> like I was telling you earlier, we got that uh uh velvet hunt which is the last weekend of August. Uh was not successful. Seen seen both the deer I was hunting. Uh the the Saturday it's a Friday Saturday Sunday hunt I only seen them one day, not even remotely close enough to shoot. Uh, so bump on up. The actual season opens late, the last Saturday of September, so a month later. Okay. And I think it was the second, the second or third weekend of season, I shot the buck that I was hunting in Velvet. He was uh headed to a fresh cut cornfield and uh killed him he he was way more impressive in velvet he was really light he ended up he was he was the smallest of the year at uh one he was 128 inches then october 1 ohio opens uh I spend the weekend up there trying to hunt some crop fields, some uh, bean fields and stuff. Okay. And I seen, I seen the deer, long story short, I seen a giant eight pointer come out of a really small thicket, kind of a sinkhole thicket. And there was a big hedgerow that bordered that, that sinkhole thicket. And I watched him come like get up out of it. Like, He's down in a hole like twenty foot deep. Get up out of it, come out, cross the road, go to some crop fields. So for about for ten the next ten days, I made three five hour trips back to Ohio on windy north days and stalked up to that sinkhole trying to shoot that deer. Never did encounter him in that hole. Okay. So, push into the first of November, and I had a really uh, what I believe to be a fairly old mature eight pointer come in on me the second day of November here in Tennessee, 
So I'll kill him. So I'm done in Tennessee. I have no more tags. So you're going to have two tags in Tennessee? We two two buck, tags? buck tags in Tennessee, yes, sir. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he was 132, real nice, solid deer. Okay. Uh, so I immediately head to, to Indiana. So I hunt there from the 3rd through the 12th, um, just grinding. I mean, straight up grinding all day sits. You know, get up two thirty, three o'clock in the morning because we got an hour drive and then a you know mile walk in. Okay. Generally, and I mean, I was just I was beat. And then the the afternoon of the eleventh, I got in on a ridge, slide off this, come across this slide off this. I mean, it's almost a sheer bluff uh, down to this creek bottom and it's maybe it's a pretty good sized creek bottom valley you know maybe 50 acres uh okay. something like that mm -hmm. and it's got finger ridges that run into it and but those finger ridges have been cut uh timber that's what i'm meaning by so they're fairly thick and uh it was hot and windy that afternoon and i seen i seen a buck big tall brows that we'd had pictures of uh 10 pointer really tall brow tines tending a doe that afternoon and it's like 70 degrees and we had a big major cold front come in that following night rained all night and all morning and then it was supposed to change the snow the afternoon of the 12th so i head okay. back in there i head back into that ridge on the on the the middle day middle of the day on the 12th had a tree umbrella, my rain gear, all that stuff. And I mean, it's when I say it's raining, it is, it's, it is raining. It's pouring. It's horrible, miserable. Miserable. I mean, like, I have all this stuff to try to stay dry, but I was already wet before I got to the tree. So, anyway, I move on to the ridge where I seen him tending that doe, hoping, hoping that he was on the, the front side of tending that doe because sometimes that you know anywhere from 24 to 36 hours, you know. I slip off that same bluff, cross that valley, and ease up onto the toe of the ridge maybe 100 yards. I mean, almost almost within sight of where I seen him get up, you know, hoping he would just be in the area or still tending her. So it was supposed to change over snow, which it did, and I mean – when it changed the snow, it got white in like 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, I seen him up the ridge. He was just, uh, he was just scent checking, just back and forth bird dogging. I think he would just finished up with her and had been bedded. Well, he was crossing too far from me. So I grabbed the grunt call, grunted at him real hard. He just stopped and looked, uh, grunted again. And he stopped and started raking a tree with his antlers, and he buck roared. It's probably the only the second or third time I've ever heard that. And I didn't, I wasn't even sure I could do it or knew how to do it because I'd never done it. I took my grunt call and attempted to make the same sound as he did. Okay. And when I did, he turned and he was maybe a hundred yards at that point. He turned and charged just as hard as he could. No kidding. Just right to me and. He stopped almost facing me and about at 15 yards, and I was drawing at that point. And I buried the pin on the corner of his shoulder and the arrow stuck in the ground, come out his back rib on the other side. Oh, that's awesome. That is fantastic. Like 
Yeah, he made it about 20 yards and just dead. Double lung tumor? And I mean, I – yeah, I mean, I'd hunted so hard those, you know, 10 days. I mean, I was just just beat. I mean, I and I was – I gave out – I watched him die. I gave out a little war whoop, and I called my dad and cried a little bit, you know, just <laughs> – so. I've only cried on two deer, and that was that one in my 185. But I guess it was just such – I'd been hunting so hard for 10 days straight, you know, all public, you know, hiking in deep. It, it was just such a relief to finally get one down. That was that. And the very next day, took care of him and everything, and I drove to Ohio. So we're to the 13th. So the morning of the 14th, I get into a tree uh, kind of on a, a pinch between – it's kind of a funnel along a river between two crop crop field systems and uh maybe eight o'clock in the morning I see a big deer coming along tending a doe and I take videos and pictures of this thing. Cause I don't I don't I don't know why I did it, I just did. I didn't think he was that big. And he went on about his way and I sent it to all my buddies and everything. They're like, What the hell are you thinking? Like, why did you not shoot that deer? And I'm like, he just, I don't think he's that big. Well, okay. he gets back, he comes back through about three o'clock, I guess that doe got up. And he gets in there, and I mean, I studied him with 12 power binoculars for a long time. And I still only think he's like 135, 140. I'm like, right. okay, that's a big eight point, you know, just so I'm going to go ahead. So I shoot him, hit him a little, little, he was angled toward me, and I hit him just perfect right behind the rib, right behind the shoulder, come out back ribs, other side. So I got like one long liver, and you know it took him maybe he didn't know what happened. I watched him up through there. It took him about fifteen minutes to finally die. Pretty excited, you know. Dang, four states down. So I climbed down. I get up there. You know, I call my call my dad immediately. Every day I shoot, I call my dad and tell him about it. Yeah. Uh, he's my first call, and then I call Ben generally. And uh, I get up to the deer, and I'm like, oh, my God, what? this deer is way bigger than I ever expected him to be. His mass, if you, you get to be around a lot of deer, mass will trick you. It makes them look smaller because it makes their tines seem shorter. Okay. So, and he had a, he had a great spread as well. Is but it like, one of those pictures you sent me? Is it, is it one of these guys right here? Yeah, it's that eight-pointer on the left side. Oh, wow. Man. So I, I'm i like, holy crap, he's way bigger than I thought he was. I called my dad, and I, was, I said, well, I, I said, I've done messed up. And he said, what do you mean? Because he knew I watched him die, and I said, he's substantially bigger than I thought he was. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so he ended up just barely breaking 150 as an eight-pointer, which is that's – a, that's a big eight-pointer. Yeah, it is. Uh, if you've ever been around – you know, a lot of big deer, but, uh, so basically my, my tour was done at that point. I come back home. I hunt Kentucky a little bit. I'm within 15 minutes of Kentucky where I live in Tennessee. Okay. So I have a little, one small private piece of ground that I hunt in Kentucky. And then beyond that, it's all public ground. All right. So I was like, it's four days later, uh, right before there, uh, is the day before their gun season opened, I think it was a Friday. 
they done had a they done had a uh, an early muzzleloader and then they have a gun modern rifle and then they have another muzzleloader it's kind of funny they break it up real real funny but it was like friday before and i was like you know i'm just gonna go i just had time and i had seen quite a few deer on this place and uh it's kind of a secluded corner i didn't really expect much I, you know I, I knew i'd see a bunch of deer but no idea what i would see and so I slip in there. It's real, real windy that afternoon. And for some reason, deer were moving like crazy. I mean, I barely got up my tree before I started seeing deer. And I and I had a little, I mean, it's it's bright light. I mean, it's still sun shining. Mm-hmm. I had a little, little buck come in from behind me, walk right under me. And he was standing out there in front of me, maybe 30 yards, just eating on a winter wheat. It had sprouted up about three inches tall. Uh, they had planted it as a cover crop over top okay. of the corn. And uh, probably had 30 does out in the middle of this field. And I heard a twig break, break from right where he just walked. And I turned around and standing not 20 yards, I just seen mass, really tall tines. I was like, mm-hmm. just get your bow and shoot. You know, none of, none of those, there was no dissecting him, hope, seeing if he's big enough, just just get him killed and uh so i mean i just he was sitting there fiddling with a licking branch almost facing me just like my indiana deer right inside the shoulder right at the base of the neck mid gut other side it come out he didn't go 25 yards as well uh got down got to him funny thing about him is he is the smallest frame deer there was he ain't but 13 inches wide That's so funny. he's super heavy and super tall he's got nine inch brows uh, and really really tall tines but he broke a brow and he broke a g3 shit yeah it was horrible so once i killed him i had a lot of neighbors see my pictures and they started sending me all the trail camera pictures of him and uh i was wanting to send him off and get him getting fixed but being broke he was 148 okay and with the with what he broke he would he would have broke 160 so jesus that, that's pretty yeah so that's pretty awesome not so within four seven days of each other i kill you know three 150 kind of plus deer and okay. bang 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 so it was it was pretty pretty amazing week <laughs> that is pretty amazing now when you travel what do you use for an arrow setup uh heavy <laughs> heavy like do you talking 600 700 no, not extremely i want i want some speed i don't want i don't want crazy drop uh i stay around that 500 mark i think i'm at 520 right now but i shoot uh an 80 pound i shoot 80 pounds you know 29 inch draw so okay. i mean I, I i got some hump you know i got some mm-hmm. i got some speed as well you know and I, you can get too heavy to where you don't have no discretion uh, on your yardages you know if a deer standing at 40 and takes a cu- t- couple steps you know and don't rearrange him you know if you're too slow you're gonna you're gonna shoot under him if yep. you don't drop into it type situation. So, mm-hmm. so I like, I like a really good balance, you know, I, I want some speed, but I want some weight, you know, I don't want to be too light. I might, some people crucify me. I shoot a big expandable, but I have the, I have the weight and the speed to get that penetration. Like I say, I mean, I shot 
The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Two of those bucks I've explained to you were, were almost facing me and both eras blow through the deer you know back ribs back guts so yeah. i mean i have what so what broadhead are you, what, what broadhead are you using then to to, to actually to deliver that kind of damage uh i like a three blade uh nap nap uh spitfire max is what i've probably been shooting for the better part of a decade now okay um, I, i've had really good luck with them not yes i can b I bend blades but i don't ever break one Mm -hmm. I don't tend to, you know, like, so, I mean, I, I shot, I was on the quest to find a big expandable that would meet my standards uh, about a decade ago, about 10 years ago. And I mean, I, at that point I was, uh, just got out of college single, you know, just, just, just killing the fire out of deer. I mean, I was killing 15, 20 deer a year, every year with my bow. Jesus. So, yeah, so I was uh, I was testing broadheads, and that, obviously, that's what that's what that's what come into that's what ended up passing my test was those Spitfires. So now, when you when you're talking fifteen deer a year, it's it's a combination of now is this multiple states, uh, different both bucks and does, uh, multiple states. Yeah, I mean, still four or five bucks, you know. Three, four, three to five bucks, but then does, uh, we're allowed a lot of does in Tennessee. So, I mean, I just, I got a lot, I got a bunch of different properties and, you know, we got a high population deer and I just love hunting deer. And I mean, I got uh, people that want them, people that eat them. I eat, you know, I eat a ton. I mean, all my family eats it. I mean, it, nothing goes to waste. I probably make 
60 pounds of breakfast sausage every year, 100 pounds of burger. You know, we make salami, sausage. I mean, it it it, it gets used. That's, Hayden, that's rewarding. We even got a neighbor who's got a little dog that uh, can only eat meat, so I always kill them a dough every year and take it up there. And they were the, they're like the most liberal people there ever was until their little dog until their little dog needed nothing but uh red like deer meat's the only thing it wasn't allergic to and they started accepting hunting once that <laughs> once that dog got that way. But it's oh, pretty that's, that's awesome. You got you gotta yeah love uh, converting those liberals. It is fantastic. Yeah. So that that's my hot tip if I can uh if I can follow Steve Ranella. Kill some deer. That moment of truth. I can't ever, I don't ever remember having a big deer within range and not killing him. I, no, I'll say that I, I, I lie. I have shot two that I did not kill, but, you know, at that moment of truth to make that happen, even yeah. in high stress situations, you got to force it through a hole, you know, mm-hmm. you, you need to kill some deer. Me and Ben preach that all the time to, to on our page and even to, you know, friends and stuff shoot some deer kill some does you know if that that guy who's hunted five years and you know he shot one buck four years ago and he finally has a boone and crooked walk up on him and he just whiffs it and shoots right over his back at 25 yards it's because he lost he he lost it he he hasn't experienced that situation before and i mean it's the same whether it's a doe or a buck it's the same process you know you draw an anchor spot you know check your flight path execute the shot you know it, it doesn't matter what it is you know you've got to make it happen whether it's a doe or a boon crockett that is 100 that's my uh, like kind of my next goal with my wife is to get her in front of a doe or a buck and so she can have that that thrill of being able to pull that really pull a trigger and just watch that arrow fly and just drop oh there's nothing like it there's nothing like watching that lighted knock disappear oh 100 percent. 100 is like uh my i, I shoot uh veteran ip and I, when I shot my buck, it's like if it had a, like maybe 30 or 40 grains heavier, it would have been a complete pass through the blades open, went up with no problems. But when, when the buck came in for me, it's like, you know, some people get that adrenaline dump. It's like it didn't affect me as much as I thought it would. Because I've shot deer in the past with, with, through shotgun. It's being your first bow when it's a buck showing up, it's like I figured I'd get more of an adrenaline dr- uh, yeah. dump. But it's <sighs> like I've been playing paintball for so many years. It's like getting scared, getting jumped. Or, or like, you know, it's like, I don't have that uh, that thrill, I guess you'd say, or that kind of um, yeah. Well, essentially, comes down to the drilling dump. I just don't have it anymore. Yeah, mine always happens after. I mean, like, I mean, I get excited and shoot does. You know, it's always more exciting on a big deer. But I, I've I've just done it so long, and so you know, it, it's. But I mean, once I know, I've like okay, it that's happened. It's it's success, whether he runs out of sight or. Mm-hmm. You know, if I watch the arrow hit, I know, you know, I know I've done it. I mean, I can, I can still, I got to turn around and hang on the tree. I'm going to fall out, you know. <laughs> it's it's but, still exciting. It's like, special when you're just yipping and hollering. Like, now, have you, have you, do you do the, the whole wait thing where you shoot the buck and you wait and hopefully a, a doe comes bounding out? I mean, it just depends on where I'm at. You know, if I'm a mile and a half back in on some public, I I have no, no uh want to shoot a buck to shoot a doe you know <laughs> it's twice the work if you're only if you're by yourself 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not even by myself, but, you know, the most yeah. WMAs, you're not allowed uh, an ATV. You know, it's just it's just not worth it, especially when I can kill, you know, basically unlimited does in Tennessee and drive right up to them on a four. You know, it, it's I got plenty of meat here. I can see that right there for you. Uh, now, do, is there any any advice or any mistakes you want to share with the audience? Uh, learn your trees. Uh, trees are huge, and you know, because they're in my type of situation, because that's your primary food sources generally. Uh, mm-hmm. All white oaks aren't created equal. Just because it's a white oak doesn't mean anything. Uh, historical data is huge. Something that's happened every year for the last five years becomes a pattern, becomes a successful pattern. You know, if if you've run cameras and you know, every year the ninth of November you start picking up big deer on that camera, there's something to it, you know. But you know, e- even even if you walk a, a hundred acre white oak flat on top of a huge ridge in, in central Indiana and there's tens of millions of white oaks, there will be two or three trees on that white oak flat that looks like hogs have been under it. Okay. Just rooting and digging. It, it's something about certain trees have less tannin. And tannin is is an acid that gets in the in the acorn itself, and uh, it, it gives them a different flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's even that's even been proven on uh, commercialized chestnut trees. Uh, there's certain ones who people know uh, in their grove are better tasting than than the rest of them. Okay, that's good to know because now we don't have a hog problem here in Wisconsin, knock on wood. Nor do we have it in Iowa. And Illinois has been pretty good at keeping well, things on, on, on wraps on that. Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that it was hogs, but I'm saying, like, the deer will have it rooted up. Like, oh, okay. so much. Like, they were preferring that tree so much that you can tell, like, a huge, like, it's, you know, deer crap everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be three or four trees in that 100-acre block that are really getting after it. You know, and you if you know where those deer bed and then you can get on the wind system, I mean, it's just like a food plot. They're going to be in there before dark 90% of the time. Makes sense. Now, does Tennessee have a hog issue out there or not? Wild hogs? They're, they are, but it's, it's east, east and south of me. Uh, I don't have any primarily here. I think, I mean, maybe two counties away, there's some woodlands that are big enough, but basically around me, we're, we're, we're small. Uh, small woodlots, drainage systems, and type stuff like that. I don't think they would ever be able to establish here without, you know, farmers and, you know, the state agency, you know, killing them out type situation. I gotcha. That's 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 nice to know that you don't have that. You don't have to deal with that issue like Arkansas and Texas and Missouri oh, yeah, and such. They're, they're bad in some some places. I mean, I know they're bad. I like hunting them. I mean, we go to Arkansas every year and. And fire down on them, you know, kind of like shooting rats. But that's you know. what everybody's told me. It's like once once you start seeing them pop up, it's like you just don't let off the finger off your shotgun or or whatever you decide to bring out with you. Yeah, they're it's they're a pretty amazing creatures. They're they're not going nowhere. They're about like a roach. <laughs> they do not die. Yeah. They reproduce quickly and rapidly, and the whole thing. Now, do you guys have any issues with the um, with PETA trying to get after your DNR? No, we don't seem to have none of that. You know, we're a, the state capital, you know, in almost every state capital was democratically controlled, you know, but as far as population goes, we're a, we're hardcore Republican independent state. So we okay. don't have it. 
we don't have that much issue. We have a ton of, I mean, you know, there's some things that could change, but I, I think our state agency, uh, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, I think they're, they're doing a really great job uh, uh, expanding and, and opening up opportunities for everybody, whether it's the, um, the trout fishermen or the dove hunters or, or, you know, the guy that wants to shoot a spike, you know, it, it's fine you know it's there's a ton of opportunity in tennessee it's not it's not a huge there is big deer here but you know they don't just it's not iowa you know it you know that's all you know iowa for you know you, mm-hmm. you people know tennessee because of their turkey hunting you know because of the east tennessee trout streams you know kentucky lake bass fishing we really have a great great plethora of wildlife that we can we can chase and get after Fair enough, yeah. But oddly enough, like if you're gonna go to any place to go hunt whitetail, Wisconsin's a place to go. We have we're out of all the big bucks, like in all the two hundred plus um BNCs out there, you're gonna find them all here in Wisconsin. I think we we surpass Iowa by almost like five hundred bucks. Oh yeah, I know what it comes because you have Trumpelo and we have Buffalo County and I mean those but those like good luck trying to get into that place. Like you either gotta buy a lease, wait for somebody to die. It's like it's it's not an easy task, but it is like <laughs> Uh, Lacrosse County, where I'm at, our biggest buck on record right now was shot in 2014, and he was a a 200 class buck too. So they're here, they're all over the place. But then again, you can find big bucks anywhere. It's just being right place, right time, and you know that's what it breaks down to. I think you've really discussed a lot of good information here. So how does your upcoming season look? Like, where you you going to do the same thing you did last year? Hit Indiana, Ohio, and and Tennessee. I got a yeah. I got I got two mule deer hunts. I got Arizona and Nebraska uh, in there as well. Um, so I mean, it, it'll be a really busy first of the season. It's gonna be just a busy season altogether. Sounds like it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, because I got the I got the velvet hunt. That's last weekend of August, and then we got the very following week is opening week in Nebraska. So I'll try to be there for that. I'm not 100 percent sure I'll make that. Uh, Kentucky opens that very fall on the first Saturday of September. I mean, it's just bang, bang, bang. It, and it all amounts to whether I can find a good deer on a food source, whether I even try to hunt Kentucky, you know? Yes. Uh, so if not, I'll, I'll work a whole lot through September into October, but come about Halloween, uh, we close the doors for till about Thanksgiving and, and I go wherever the deer lead me. So, so then when, when do you head out to Arizona then? Uh, that'll be the very, I think it's the 11th of January. Oh, wow. Be Arizona. So. And that, that's, that'll be near the, the Gila National Forest. Okay. Uh, near, near Phoenix. We have some contacts out there. Uh, a friend of ours lives there is going to take us. Uh, awesome. me and Ben, are, me and Ben are both, we're both going. Uh, and that's, that's typically about when they're rutting out there. So that's the, that's the main, our main reason, you know, is we we take november into january so you know oh, 100%. What, more, what more could you want i used to live out in arizona so that's like so i was kind of curious where you're going i have a buddy of mine that got drawn for m11 over by flagstaff which is like on the south yeah. side of it but it's like it's right in like the city limits and he said they did up a whole bunch of different uh, uh law changes and stuff like that about hunting in there because it's very very weird and how the, the elk are walking through he got a cow tag but he's easy He's excited. He's been up there a couple of times. He's got a friend up there that's got cameras. So they, they've got elk where they're at. So they're pretty confident he's going to be able to punch that tag. But it's just, 
figure out where, if they where they walk it where it comes down to a yeah. big issue because it's not we're a very getting, large we're area. Going after, we're actually going to be mule deer hunting. Yeah, you know, I get it. Uh, it's just it's just the whole fact to get out to Arizona. Just it's just a beautiful state. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't wait. I've never hunted any high desert type situations. So I mean, it'll it's it's going to be a it's going to be beautiful. I'm sure. You know, just totally different. Yeah, just uh, make sure you wear um comfortable. Quiet and comfortable shoes is essentially what it breaks oh, yeah. down to. Yeah. Spend some money, have some good shoes. <laughs> yeah, because it's like because it, it's, it's very rocky terrain up in that area, and so uh-huh. it, and so it's, you want something that's going to be quiet, easy to lightweight to get around, but something warm enough for going to keep your feet from freezing. But yeah, it's still, sure it's, still, get... it's still gonna get cold. Yeah, well, one of our sponsors on the for the bow hunt league is uh, Iris Setter and Red Wing, so I imagine I can get them to. To hook me up with something good. <laughs> oh yeah, it's exactly. Just take your boot up, stick it right in front of it. It's like, look, this is what I used. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your your upcoming hunts. And it's like Ben's got a few more of your friends that uh, that uh, wants me to reach out to over the next couple of weeks. So it's like I think you give an audience a really good idea on like how to get out and get around to different states. Cool thing is like utilize the bow hunting leaks. I'm sure there's plenty of friends in there that you can meet that can help you out in different areas and such. I mean, I'm. Glad I got to meet yeah, Ben I mean, and it, have a chat it, with you guys. Yeah, I mean, I know Ben talked about it, but that's that's the whole reason the league come about is is for networking capabilities. You know, uh, none of us are rich, so I mean, we've all got families and responsibilities, and you know, mortgages and you know everything. So, uh, if you got a buddy who lives in Missouri that that you know will let you come hunting, and you got great fishing in Florida or or, you know, swap hunts out, you know, whatever, you know, that's the, it's just a network. I mean, that that's the, the biggest part of it is, is because 90%, you know, uh, hunting's becoming a rich man's game. And, you know, if you don't have those connections and networks, I mean, you, you're, you're going to get pushed out and you're going to limit yourself sometimes to unproductive public ground, you know, unless you have that time and money to travel. That Good friends, you know. Friends in high places. <laughs> that's essentially it. Uh, I'm going to be having uh, Jeff Helmers on my pod, Kevin there, because he's like the only way we're going to be able to do it because he's such a busy person. But uh, I'll send you some pictures of his successes. His daughter shot. She's uh, 15 for 15 years in a row. We're capitalizing on a buck in the last five. Been uh, 180 class bucks. You agree? Oh yeah, they're, they are. They're, they're savages. If I can figure out how to turn this camera around, I, I know we're kind of over with. I'll give you. A... I'll give you a little walkthrough and see. Yeah. Uh, All right. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning day. into the Bucks of America podcast. And then uh, just this will be out in a couple of weeks. We'll talk to you soon.